Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Shannon Neiman, pastor of Abundant Living Faith Center. I'm really excited to begin this new series tonight called Dreamers. And I'm going to just share with you a little bit about where it came from. One of my absolute favorite verses in the Bible is Ephesians 3.20 in the Message Bible. I love the way it reads. It says, God can do anything. You know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. God can do anything far more than you can even imagine. That kind of changes your perspective a little bit on God, huh? Because most of the time we come to him with the attitude of, God, will you just do this for me? But the God that we serve is the God who can do anything far more than we could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. I don't know about you, but I can dream up some really good stuff. And to think that my God can do more than anything I could imagine in my wildest dreams. That's a pretty spectacular God. And we understand that in God's word, there's a very clear parallel. The Bible says that we are created in the nature of God. So if God is a dreamer, then God has called you to be a dreamer. In fact, I believe that God is the creator of dreams and he uses them for specific reason. Those reasons are to bring revelation to our life. He uses dreams to reveal things to us and to draw us towards his divine purpose for our life. You see, this I know. As I study the Bible, it becomes very clear that each one of you has a story. You have a purpose. In fact, if, in Psalms 139, 16, it says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. And every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Think about that for a moment. Before God even spoke you into existence, even created you or planted you in your mother's womb. He had laid out all the days of your life. He had put into motion a purpose and a plan. I find that fascinating to think about. It's interesting that God ordains a future. He ordains a plan and an intention for your life before you were even born. You see, the God that created you, he invests in you, he creates in you, and he does all of it without any guarantee that you're even going to say yes to a relationship with him. He formulates all of this and he plans all of these spectacular things in your life. And he's got this incredible purpose for you. And he loves you. We've just talked over the last month about how he pursues you, how he seeks you. He works to find you because he has invested all of this into you in the hopes that you will say yes to the life he has for you. And it's a fascinating thing to think about. That God has put all of that into you. God has big dreams for your life. He's got big 
plans for your life. And I have to believe that if you showed up here on Wednesday night, after Easter, after coming to all those prayer meetings, amen, after being in church a whole lot, then you are here because you want to live the life that God has for you. You believe that you want to be the person who says yes to God's dream for your life. So what we're going to do tonight is I just kind of want to begin to lay the groundwork for how God bursts dreams in our life. I want to challenge you to think in a new way. I'm going to ask you a question. Remember when you were a child. Stop for a moment and go back to that place when you were a kid when life was all about ice cream and playing hide and seek and how long recess it was going to be and conspiring with your siblings or your friends to see how late you could convince your parents to let you stay up. Remember a time when you had a dream or maybe even a couple of dreams. A time when you were ruled by your imagination, by your heart, by your attentions. A time when you thought in possibilities. When you were free of the notion of limits and impossibilities. A time when your language was free of words like can't, never, and no, and instead you spoke in the words of when and one day and imagine how. You see, life has this funny way of taking us down these paths that lead us to living a life that is less than the dreams that were originally in our hearts. It has a way of convincing us that our dreams are a waste of our time. Now, a lot of you are living a good life. Things are going good. You're serving God. You're seeing God move in your life. But if you're honest with yourself tonight, it's not the life that you dreamed of long ago. In fact, it's probably unrecognizable in comparison to the life that you hoped to have or that you boldly declared that you would have as a child. You see, once upon a time, you were young and you were free from inhibition. You were free from fear. And you were ruled by boldness and possibility. You see, I believe that that's the point of this series. That God is calling us to revisit the dreams that he has placed inside of us. So I think he wants you to return to that to the days of old, to the mindset that you had as a child, the mindset that believed in possibility, the mindset that said, I can. He wants you to to rediscover the you that really thought, I can do anything. The you that believed that anything was possible and the you who rejected the no's and the can'ts the I don't have the time, the negative labels, or that will never happen. So let's take a little trip tonight and let's talk about dreams. Are your dreams important or are they a waste of time? 
A lot of times society tells us that dreams are silly and they're a waste of time. In fact, we use the word dream in kind of a whimsical fairy tale way. But the truth is your dreams are not silly. They're not a waste of time. In fact, they are full of power. So I want you to go with me to the Bible tonight. We're going to look at a story about a dream. Now, I'm going to read it out of the Message Bible. Maybe you've got that on your phone. Maybe you have a Message Bible. If not, they're going to put it up on the screen. We're going to talk about one of the most famous people in the Bible, Abraham. And Abraham had a dream, and we're going to go to Genesis 15. We're going to begin in verse 1. It says, after all these things, this word of God came to Abram in a vision or in a dream. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward will be grand. Abram said, God, master, what use are your gifts as long as I'm childless and Eliezer of Damascus is going to inherit everything? Abraham continued, he said, see, you've given me no children, and now a mere house servant is going to get it all. Then God's message came and said, don't worry, he won't be your heir, a son from your body will be your heir. Then he took him outside and said, look at the sky, count the stars, can you do it, count your descendants, you're going to have a big family, Abram. And he believed, Abram believed God, and God declared him set right with God. And God continued, I'm the same God who brought you from the Ur of the Chaldees and gave you this land to own. So here we see Abram, who we know later becomes Abraham, and he's got a dream, and his dream is to have a child or an heir. And I want you to get a little bit of, of the history here. You see, when this conversation happens, and it's one of many conversations, God repeatedly promises uh, Abram throughout the Bible that he's going to have this child. The first time God makes this promise to him, this guy is 75 years old. So we understand then that this is not a desire that just suddenly popped up. This is not a new problem for Abram. He's been dealing with this problem for a long time. He's had the dream of having the child for a long, long time. But the dream is not happened. It is still unanswered when God speaks to him and gives him the promise and the interesting thing in the story is that the dream goes unanswered for a long time. You see, it wasn't until Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 that they actually see their dream be fulfilled. What I want you to notice in the passage that we just read is that there's a conversation going on between Abraham and God. And Abraham tells God, look, this is the dream I have. I want to have my own heir. And we see here that he's talking about the one child. 
And God responds back, and he's got his own interpretation of Abraham's dream. I'll remind you what Ephesians 3.20 says. You see, Abram's speaking in the language of one, and God responds back in the language of countless. Because God's response to your dreams is always more than what you could ever ask or imagine or request. Amen? So Abraham wants a son, and God says, that's fine. I'm going to give you the son, but what I want is multitudes of sons. If you're taking notes tonight, I want to give you some definitions as we begin to lay the groundwork for this series. The Bible definition of the word dreams is an instrument for divine revelation. As I think about that and study that, then I kind of come up with my own definition. My own personal definition is that dreams are the revelation of God's purpose for your life. And then when I go to the English dictionary and I look up the word dreams, I get this. A dream is a desirable ideal. It is something that we hope to one day see or experience or possess. So let's make the connection here. First, God gives us dreams. We perceive those dreams as a desirable ideal. We perceive them as something that we hope to one day see or experience or possess. And the connection happens here. You see, God draws us towards our purpose by placing in us a desire for the thing or the place that he intends for you to one day see or experience or possess. Maybe you're here tonight and you've struggled to see your dreams become a reality. Maybe you're thinking, look, that's nice for people like you that have a lot of faith, but I'm not one of those people. I'm just trying to get by. Maybe you've struggled. In fact, maybe your dreams are a distant memory and they've started to fade. Maybe you're listening to me and you're saying, is that really the will of God? Is it the will of God that I would let go of the things that I once desired for my life? Shouldn't I just be thankful for where I'm at? Well, yes, you should be thankful. But no, it is not God's will for your dreams to go by the wayside. You see, God gives people dreams. Those dreams are God's divine revelation of his purpose for your life. Your dreams are God-designed desires, and he intends for them to become a reality. You see, Psalms 37 verse 4 says, God will give you the desire of your heart. He places in you a desire to get you to the life that he's calling you to. He placed in Abraham a desire for a child, a desire that despite success and seeing God move in a lot of areas of his life that he could not let go. It was something that he still wanted. It was something that he longed for. It was a dream that he had to have his own child, his own heir. 
That desire remained even at the age of 75, even at the age of 80. Think about that for a moment. I know some 80-year-olds. I know some 70-year-olds. In fact, I know some 40-year-olds that are not dreaming about having a child. So Abraham has held on to this dream for a long, long time. Why? Because that dream was the birthplace for the call that God had for him. It was drawing him towards the purpose that God had put in his life, which was to make him the father of many nations. So that desire was God-planted. It was a God-ordained desire. And God surely kept his word and gave Abraham the desires of his heart. We go on to Romans 4 and we see the story progress. Again, I'm reading out of the Message Bible, so they're going to put it up on the screen. We pick up in verse 17. It says, we call Abraham father. Not because you got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as father of many peoples. You see, Abraham was first named father. And then became a father. God called him something that he was not yet. He was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God, to do what only God could do, to raise the dead to life with a word, make something out of nothing. You see, when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyways, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. And I love this next part of the passage. It says, Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, God, it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child, nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up? He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. Listen, he plunged into the promise and he came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. Abraham plunged into the promise and came up strong, sure that God would make good on what he had said. You've probably heard portions of that verse. The more common translation says, even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping. You see, some of you are here tonight and you've quit dreaming. But we look at Abraham's life and we see that he kept dreaming. Abraham refused to let his dreams die. 
In fact, even in the face of everything that told him the dream was an impossibility, he held on to his dreams. He didn't focus on his own impotence. He didn't focus on the fact that he was a hundred years old. He ignored the fact that Sarah had been infertile for 90 years. He didn't even ask God skeptical questions. He didn't say, God, I mean, hey, look, I'm 100, she's 90. He didn't question God. Instead, he plunged into the promise. He chose to believe that somehow God would make good on what he had said. I think Abraham look, looked at the situation and said, hey, I've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. I can look around me and I can go, this is absolutely impossible. Or I can hold on to hope. I can hold on to the dream. I can believe that God is going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. You see, he plunged into the promise. And isn't it interesting how it describes it? Because it says that when he plunged in the promise, then he came up strong. You see, when you plunge into the circumstances and all the things that tell you something can't happen, it won't happen, all the closed doors, all the no's, all the circumstances, you just come up weak. But when you plunge into God's promises of yes and amen, you come up strong. You see, here's Abraham, and he chooses to blindly believe. He chooses to say, hey, wait a second, there's nothing wrong with the dream that I have. And God told me that that dream can happen, so I'm going to believe it. And he chooses to blindly believe almost as if he doesn't understand why the idea of having a kid at 100 years old is crazy. It reminds me of some kids that I hang around with. It's interesting when you are around little children all the time, you know, they just walk up to the things and they just believe that they can do it. And we, the parents, have to tell them all the reasons why they can't. Hey, wait a second, you're not tall enough, you're not big enough, you're not strong enough, that floor is too hard, you can't do this. But they are 100% convinced that they can. Why? Because they think still with the mindset of can. They think still with the mindset of possibility. They haven't been jaded or convinced yet of all the possible things that can go wrong. You see, Abraham had what I like to describe as a childlike faith. He just ignored all the other stuff. And he just believed that what God said was true. Isn't it interesting that throughout the Gospels in Matthew and Mark and Luke, we read about a conversation that Jesus has. 
And he's talking and he talks about how we can access the kingdom of heaven. And he says that to access the kingdom of heaven, then one must think or believe like a child. In fact, he goes on to say that one who believes and is humble like a child will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And I went yesterday and spent some time studying out exactly what he was trying to say. And when you go into the commentaries and the dictionaries and you begin to break down all the words and you look it up, it says that Christ is pointing to the little children and he's telling us that they're the model. They're the model of how we can assimilate into the kingdom of God. And he says this, he says, the special attributes of children which he recommends to us are humility, unworldliness, simplicity, and teachableness. The direct contraries of self-seeking, worldliness, distrust, or conceit. So he lays a picture here for us. He says, look, in order to get everything that I have for you, in order to really get the fullness of the God kind of life, of life in the kingdom of heaven, then you must have a childlike faith. And a childlike faith is a humble faith. It is not a faith that is full of conceit. What is conceit? That's an excessively favorable opinion of one's own ability or importance. You see, we see Abraham, and I think he recognizes, look, I, I, I haven't done this on my own. I'm not capable of doing this. I've tried all the stuff, and it hasn't worked but I'm smart enough to understand that there's a God <laughs> that if I humble myself to, he might have an answer. He has a childlike perspective of his relationship with God. He's humbled himself. He's not focused on himself. Instead, he's dependent on God. And listen to this. A childlike faith is a faith that is not jaded by the world's system. You see, the very thing we're describing is that when we're little, we haven't yet become sarcastic. We haven't yet become cynical. We're not distrusting. We're not questioning everything. That's exactly what it says Jesus is telling us. He says, look, don't buy into the worldliness. Instead, be like a child. You see, a child is not yet worldly. A child yet is not yet second-guessing. A child is not yet asking, how is it that, that you know, uh, God could split the Red Sea? That story is ridiculous. How is it that God raised someone from the dead? Did that really happen, or is that just in the Bible for a good tale? You see, a child approaches God and whatever you tell them, they just believe. 
They don't have to be convinced yet because they don't understand that there are people in the earth yet who are lying and manipulating and taking advantage. They haven't been let down yet. They're not distrusting. So they have the capacity to blindly believe. A childlike faith is a faith that believes and trusts in God and then listen. It is a faith that is forgiving. You see, it's a faith that lets go of things and keeps on believing. Hear this tonight. There are some of you that your dreams have not come true because some, at some point in your life, you think God lets you down. Something didn't turn out the way that you expected to. And because of that one thing, you're still in that place. You're holding on to that place and you have not let it go. And as a result, you're not able to believe in where God's trying to take you. You see, a childlike faith forgets things. They let it go. If you've got little kids and you know exactly what I'm talking about, they are furious one second and the next second they have completely forgotten it. They let it go. The worst possible moment can turn into the best possible day when you just walk through with a piece of candy or an ice cream cone or a bouncing ball. We can be in the middle of an all-out tantrum and in one second it's all behind us right? A childlike faith lets things go and keeps on believing. So what do I take from here? I take this. You see, how do children believe? You see, children don't worry about their reputation or their image. They don't approach situations thinking, oh my gosh, what are these people going to think? They don't worry about being embarrassed. They'll hear why that's important. You see, I imagine that when Abraham went around telling people, look, God told me I'm going to have a child. In fact, God told me I'm going to have as many kids as the stars in the sky. People probably thought he was crazy. But children don't worry about that. Children don't worry about what people think. They just believe that what they desire can happen. Amen? And children trust completely. Children trust completely. You see, children believe their parents know everything. And then by instinct, over time, they figure out that we don't know everything. As we walk through things with them and we make mistakes, they quickly learn. Hey, wait a second. My, maybe I can outsmart my parents. But this is the deal. You see, our relationship with God is different because God really does know everything. <laughs> God is omniscient. He knows everything. And so a childlike faith trusts God completely. A childlike faith takes God at his word. It trusts him completely. You see, Abraham didn't know. How in the heck God was going to make his dream come true? He, in fact, 
knew in his natural mind that it was naturally impossible for his dream to come true. He didn't understand how God could do that, but he believed that that was of no consequence because God knew everything and he chose to trust him. Amen? The other interesting thing about how children believe is this. You see, children are at their best when they're at home. Children are able to believe when they're comfortable. And if they're raised by loving parents, then they're happiest with their parents. They're at their best in their parents' presence. I want to tell you, a, give you an example of something. I have a friend who recently moved she moved from Dallas to Austin. She's got one little girl. She's about eight years old. And I was talking to her the other day, and I said, hey, how is your daughter handling the transition? She said, you know, she was fine. She said she's been good. You know, we've been together. We've got our routines. We're doing our thing. And I was thinking about her yesterday as I was working on my lesson. I was thinking, well, yeah, because her child was at home with her parents, you see, her child's faith and security, her child's comfort existed because her child was with her. Now, if my friend named Stacy had put her child on a bus with a ticket and said, you get on that bus and I'm sending you to Austin by yourself. It wouldn't have mattered if her child got picked up and dropped off at her beautiful new home. If her parents weren't there, the child wouldn't have been okay. You see, when you study Abraham's life, then you learn this. You see, God calls Abraham his friend. Abraham was in constant conversation with God. Abraham was at home with God. Abraham had a relationship with God. And he believed and felt at ease with God. You see, a childlike faith is at home. It is accepted as long as they are with God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm dealing with something in my life, it is so much easier for me to believe that God's going to make a way when I've spent time in God's presence. You see, when I'm in church and I'm down here during praise and worship and I'm entering into God's presence, when I'm talking to God, when I'm reading my Bible, when I'm listening to the word, then I'm comfortable with his promises. I'm at home with what he tells me. It's much harder to believe that God's going to heal you when you've been separated from the promises of God. It's a lot easier to be confident that God's going to heal you when you were here on Friday night and you watched people get healed. You see, I think Abraham was able to believe because he was at home with God. God was his father. He was his parent. He had security in him. He felt comfortable with God. So again, we look at Abraham and we see a man who had an impossible dream. 
And yet this man begins to see his dream come to pass. But Abraham had an unusual faith. He had a childlike faith. He wasn't jaded. He didn't care about what the world around him said. He wasn't cynical. He ignored all of the circumstances and he refused to give up. And instead, he reverenced and trusted God. You see, Abraham's dream became a reality because he dared to trust God, to do what only God could do. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyways. So let's look at this dream become real. We're going to go now to Hebrews 11. We pick up in verse 11, it says, by faith. Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age. Now think about that for a moment because we don't see God talking to Sarah. We see God talking to Abraham and I imagine Abraham is going home to tell Sarah. And again, this reminds us of the kind of enthusiasm that Abraham had in his faith. Because if my husband came home and I was 75, 80 years old and told me, hey, God said you're about to have a baby. I'd be like, you're nuts. <laughs> but if you're the mom or the dad of a young one, they can practically convince you that they're capable of doing anything because their enthusiasm kind of can overwhelm you at times. So I imagine that Abraham's faith was so raw it was so real. It was so full of possibility that he came home and it says Sarah was convinced. So by faith, so Sarah began to believe. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged God faithful who had promised. And therefore from one man, and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So here we see Abraham's dream become a reality. When we make the connection, Abraham's dream or his desire, the thing that was inside of him was to have a child. But God's purpose for Abraham's life was to make him the father of many nations. You see, my family, God's dreams always supersede your dreams. There is no way that you can outdream your God. Ephesians 3:20, God can do anything far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. God made you a dreamer. And his intention is to take you to the place where your dreams become a reality. Amen? Did you learn some things tonight?
Listen, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what successful dreamers do to make their dreams a reality. And I hope you'll come back and hear the rest of the series. It's going to be really incredible. Would you stand with me? Thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. For information on teaching material or questions about our church, please visit us at alfc.com.